Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. It's April 5th, 2021, and today we have a very special episode. We will be discussing the Academy Award-nominated film Do Not Split by Anders Hammer. It was nominated in the Best Short Form Documentary category, and it was produced by Field of Vision, a documentary film company that is partly owned by Laura Poitras, one of the journalists responsible for bringing the information that Edward Snowden had pilfered from the National Security Agency to light. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, we will be discussing the film. How are you doing today, Mikey? I'm doing um, I'm doing pretty I'm doing fine. Excellent. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing okay. Um had a good weekend. I got my vaccine on Friday and I'm excited to uh, discuss this movie and I'm also excited to actually get my second dose of my vaccine and sort of have a little bit more breathing room than I have um, the last year. How did you feel after the back after you get, after your shot? I was fine. I had a little soreness in my arm. Uh, I got it in the evening. About 24 hours later, I think I was a little achy, but barely. And I just slept a full night's sleep. And so I would say the only thing that was definitely a vaccine symptom was just at the injection site, a little bit of soreness, and that's all. Yep, that's well worth it, huh? Mm-hmm. I know some people feel terrible, and I feel bad for those people. But And I know that my story is not going to be what happens to you, but I had virtually no effects. So, uh, That's good. Yes, and I think that a lot of people share that experience as well. It's not just me, but for a lot of people, they get the vaccine, and it doesn't really affect them, doesn't slow them down much at all. Uh, but... Uh, this today we're talking about something that's quite interesting to me, and I think the movie itself. I know it wasn't your favorite documentary short because we've seen all but one, but it is important. It covers an important topic, and it's a fluid and ongoing situation with this movie. And we'll get into not only the movie itself, but you know, China, because of this movie, has just made some moves. They sure have. So even though when I saw the film, I thought, okay, I was ready for a story. and But then I was impacted by something that was extremely serious. Mm-hmm. And uh, and actually, after you go away from it and watch the movie, I think you're going to bring out some very, very good points about this uh, this film. But you go away and start thinking about it, and the implications of what's happening there in Hong Kong are very serious. Yes. And it's kind of like bringing to light things that have always been there, but now how far in depth and how far in breadth does that go? And I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. And I think that uh, the movie is going to be, uh, the impact is going to be far, far reaching than just the issues that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's, and you look at the the young people fighting and protesting, and I guess there's some sort of comparison to last year, the civil rights protests after the brutal murder of George Floyd by Officer Derek Chauvin, who's on trial now. And I hear that the chief of police of the Minneapolis police is going to testify against him today. Wow. So I, I think they've decided in this one case, we're not going to let the guy go free. This he's our sacrificial lamb, 
you know, and we can get back to indiscriminately killing people of color after this. But, but that it's similar. You're absolutely right, David. It is similar. But, but I think when you start looking at digging deep into the causes of this, I think it's, it's much deeper and much, it's very different. I know that, you know, equality, civil rights, um, freedom from police violence, they're important causes. But when I watch Do Not Split, and this is, the movie doesn't do a good job, really, of explaining this. The movie is sort of like fly on the wall. This is what happened during the chaotic months of protests. There's no real narrative structure. The people don't really say, this is what we're fighting for. And they don't articulate it in... Uh, a fashion where it's like, okay, I understand both sides. You're sort of thrust into the action in this movie. And the action is protesters against police. And you don't really know why are the police beating up the protesters? And why do the protesters continue to go out every day? I mean, there's a few on screen, you know, they'll put text. You know, in August, China passed a law that allowed them to extradite people arrested for crimes in Hong Kong. And you say, okay, well, that's not really enough context for someone like you or me to know. Well, that means the freedoms that Hong Kong has enjoyed for the last century are about to disappear. They're going to be beholden to mainland China. If you speak out against the mainland Chinese government, you can be arrested in Hong Kong and extradited to the mainland. None of that was a thing before. And so... I don't want to sort of minimize the George Floyd protests and the the need for civil rights in America, but these people in Hong Kong, they're out there protesting for their freedom. They're out there protesting for freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. They're, uh, these fundamental rights, which really haven't been denied to Americans. So that context isn't, I don't think it's, really explained very well in the movie, but that's not the movie's point. The movie's point is to say, here's this guy, Anders Hammer, and I think I had the, uh, I'll pull up the thumbnail again real quick. Uh, Do Not Split by Anders Hammer. He's a Norwegian documentary maker, and he's known for going into the thick of the action. I guess he's been, I don't have an article pulled up, but he's been doing documentaries all over the world in conflict zones. And he's known for running sound and video himself and getting into the thick of things and just seeing what's going on in the middle of the protest. And that's what Do Not Split was. It was Well, ca- I, I think you're right, David. The, the, the George Floyd is extremely serious and uh, not to minimize this. And I don't think you were minimizing. I think what you were doing is showing uh, uh, a, a basic... A need for people to be free, and I think, uh, and also to have rights. Uh, but I think the the difference there's similarities, but there's also differences, and not to minimize the similarities, but to 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 magnify the differences. And in Hong Kong, they're talking about a whole country, and I think uh, the the glimpse of January sixth of what what was happening at the Capitol, that glimpse of what we saw and then it then it was removed, uh, I think we see in Hong Kong the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't just one event in Hong Kong. He, he went back a number of years uh, about the documentary 
And it was really about landmark events that happened over those years. And so you're right, David. It, this is uh, there's a lot going on uh, in the in our country and the world. Uh, so this is not just just uh, that's what I mean. When you look at what's happening and the forces and the causes uh, that it's worldwide, uh, but China has a lot of power and they're starting to to flex their muscles and uh, and what's going to happen to Hong Kong in the future or even right now uh, and what's going to be there in the future for the people of Hong Kong. Uh, it's really kind of sad. Yes. And again, a lot of people say what happens to someone across the world, across the globe, affects us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's part of the human race. And I do have one article pulled up. I'll pull it up right now. And we can get into this discussion a little bit later. But it's about how, for the first time in 50 years, China will not broadcast the Oscars because, because of Do Not Split. And we can get into the nuts and bolts of that art article later. But that's an important talking point about how China operates, they don't like the fact that the um, Academy of Motion Picture Art and Sciences felt like this documentary was telling a story worthy of a nomination. So in one category, best documentary short, there's one film. And the film, and I think maybe it's because Anders Hammer wants to travel back to Hong Kong, the film talks to people, but it doesn't overtly have a biased standpoint. China's horrible. It just says, why are you protesting? And these people say, well, if we allow mainland to control Hong Kong, all the freedoms we've enjoyed for the last hundred years will go away. And the actions of the police and the subsequent actions of arresting, um, I can never remember the guy's name, but he owns Apple Daily, the largest paper in Hong Kong. And he's pro-Hong Kong, anti-mainland. They waltzed into the Apple Daily offices and took that guy away in handcuffs. He's in jail in the mainland now, and he'll probably never be free. And that's a guy that owns a newspaper. Imagine if they did that to Jeff Bezos. He owns the Washington Post, you know, or the guy that owns the New York Times. They waltz into the New York Times office and take him away in handcuffs, and you never see him again. That's unthinkable in America. But the, the thing is, 10 years ago, that was unthinkable in Hong Kong. So, so the that's, situation that's on the, the ground has changed. That's the severe implications of what's happening over there. And if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. Yes. And don't think it can happen here because it can. And that's, that's, why it, that's why it's important for us to know what's happening and to support uh, the different people around the world. And I remember, you know, we get an American-centric view of these issues. And I remember when the protests started, uh, an executive for the Houston Rockets said, I stand in support with democracy in Hong Kong. And China, the mainland China, immediately moved to say, you need to contend this guy or we're going to stop your NBA contracts. And LeBron James came out and he's like, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He needs to think before he opens his mouth. He can't say he stands with Hong Kong. Like, we have a lot at stake here. And I always thought LeBron was, you know, LeBron, he's, he's a, more or less a good guy. But China's financial stake in the NBA, I think, supersedes his feelings about whether or not democracy is allowed in a place that, you know, that financial juggernaut wants. And or maybe he just doesn't have a nuanced understanding of these people are fighting for their freedom. You know, and yes, I realize that it might cost you or the league 
tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. But these people are fighting for their freedom. And and that's why when I, I mean, I, I want to work in media. I, I see that media is a viable career path for the next 50 years. And it's difficult to sit here and sort of speak out against the Chinese government because you know that they'll be a major player, a major power dealer. They'll be able to finance projects and and sort of pull strings for the foreseeable future. But this film and the American way is to say, let's speak truth to power. What I saw was a lot of police brutality in that documentary. What I saw was these young people worried that the freedoms they'd enjoyed, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, were going to be stripped away. And that's exactly what's happening. And it's sad. And I think it's okay to make a film about that. I think it's okay to speak out against the uh, Communist Party in China, the CCP. I mean, I think it's okay to say, I don't think that they should annex Hong Kong because if they annex Hong Kong, their next target will be Taiwan. And that could cause a conflagration that starts a war where hundreds of thousands of people die. So I think it's okay to speak out against all those things. And I think as Americans, with the blessed with freedom of speech, it's our job to understand the situation on the ground and feel free to speak our minds about what's happening. Well, getting back to China and the NBA, uh, another way to look at it that I think is very, very, very important to look at is that Yes, they are fighting for their freedom in Hong Kong. As you said, David, they're fighting for their freedom. But Hong Kong is a country that has connections in the United States. So you could argue they're fighting for our freedom as well. Mm -hmm. Because the stronger China is with Hong Kong and Taiwan, the stronger they're going to be with everyone around the world. But yeah, but Hong Kong is not a country. No, it's not. It's just, what I'm saying is, it's the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so as they start flexing their muscles, as they start moving, now they're starting to influence even elements of the United States. Yes. So are they fighting just for their freedom? Or are they fighting for just the freedom of free people? Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is us. Yes. So that's what I mean. You can't, you can't ignore... Uh, these things on the other side of the world, other side of the globe, says, ah, doesn't affect us. It does affect us. That's what I'm getting at. So you look at these people, and I guess you're you're suggesting they're fighting for freedom everywhere. If if wherever they're fighting for freedom, uh, in in a sense, yes, because because China is going to be everywhere. Yes. China can be everywhere. Uh, when a country becomes stronger, flexes its muscles. And as you get stronger and stronger and stronger, power will just spread. And so if you let it spread, uh, it can go worldwide. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that in the civilized country. Look at the history of man. It's happened over and over again. Yes. And I think China gleefully pointed to our protests and said, don't tell us how, how we should handle protests. You just gassed a bunch of people outside of a church so that your leader could walk across with a bunch flanked by a bunch of military men and hold up a Bible upside down. Like, why are you telling us how to handle our protests? And that is an unfortunate what about, because yes, I think that people, peaceful protests or civil liberties were violated 
during the George Floyd protests in America. But I don't think that had those protests not been successful in America, and some you could argue their, their level of success, but I don't think that Americans' freedom was on the line. And I think, and do not split what we saw, the reason why these people were willing to endure this, the reason why these people were willing to take this, these risks is not because they were fighting to get freedom, is that they knew what they had. They were fighting to keep their freedom from being taken away from them. And I think that's a fundamentally different reality. When you know what you have and you know that it's going, it's difficult to see it go. That's right. Well, uh, you know, you can draw similarities to the United States, and 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 that's fair. Uh, but you can say, well, see, you're you're not you're what you're doing is wrong too. Well, two wrongs don't make a right. Mm-hmm. And so, it, yeah, uh, there were there were people right. Demonstrating, in some cases, rioting. Uh, some people were there for the right reasons. Some people were there for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And the people there for the right reasons left, and the people who stayed with the wrong. Re- the point is, two wrongs don't make a right. Yes. Uh, you still have to fight for for the right. It things freedom doesn't come easy, uh, and 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 they're fighting for their freedom, and you can't really abandon them. Uh, and uh, you have to. You have to. Uh, it, it's a, it's as anything else in life. It's not an easy. It's not easy. No. It's very very difficult. It's even difficult over here. I think we can't. Uh, uh, we ha- we got to be careful. We don't support uh, one side over the other. Or we don't support uh, eliminating freedom in in the world, no matter where it's at. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I'm trying to say. Well, I do think that. So the history of Hong Kong is that it was a British protectorate until 1997, I think. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. At which point they gave it back to China and it became Hong Kong SAR. We were in Hong Kong SAR 15 years ago or so, um, a special administrative region. Now, what that meant, SAR, their back of the envelope slogan was, one nation, two systems. So when you would pass into Hong Kong, I believe there was, when we took the train from Shenzhen to Hong Kong, there was like customs. It was like a border almost. Um, And we got our passports taken at the Hong Kong border. We got into Kowloon. We made it to Hong Kong proper, the island. And uh, they don't use the Chinese RMB, the yuan. They use Hong Kong dollars. And so the currency is different. And the access to media, I was, you know, I had my laptop. I couldn't get on social media in the mainland. I could get on YouTube and Facebook and, and all the social media sites once I'd reached Hong Kong because they had a different system. So the great firewall of China that sort of prevents Chinese nationals, Chinese citizens on the mainland from um, accessing information and accessing the whole breadth of information that's available in the world, it didn't exist in Hong Kong. So once I got to Hong Kong, I could sort of, you know, go on Facebook and say, hey, look, I was in China the last couple of weeks or whatever. And I couldn't do that when I was in the mainland. And th- that, those were just my impressions from, you know, 2007. 
that Hong Kong was fundamentally different. Hong Kong was far more like a Western nation, and the authoritarianism and uh, sort of heavy hand of government, and this is before the Xi Jinping era, this was during uh, when Hu Jintao was the leader of China, but even back then, the heavy hand of Chinese authoritarianism was evident to me just being in the two different places. And if I was able to see that in my one month in China, I guarantee you a Hong Kong, a Hong Konger, a Hong Kong native knows they don't want this other system. They want to stay with the Hong Kong, you know, open uh, access to information, open access to communication, freedom to speak your viewpoint without being hauled away to a prison in the mainland for the rest of your life. And that's what they were fighting for. And while we were there, while we were in Hong Kong, I think it was down southern, uh, that uh, we even had experiences with the Communist Party. We you mean mainland? Meetings in the mainland. When we were in the mainland. Yeah, not yeah. in Hong Kong. No, no, no. When we were in the mainland, we had experiences uh, with the uh, the Communist Party, and it mm -hmm. was wow, it was very, very uh, different. Mm -hmm. And then we go when we went into Hong Kong. It was just pretty much wide open, and you had the freedom to walk and talk. And but uh, with the when we had had experiences meeting and interacting uh, with the Communist Party, it was it was very very structured. Correct? Yeah, a lot, a lot of pomp and circumstance, and deference to authority, and that's what they want. I mean, I think that's that's the aesthetic they're going for. Mm -hmm. And so we saw that way back then. And I guess now is a good time since we're talking about the movie Do Not Split, nominated for the Best Documentary Short. I think now is a good time to talk about where I thought the movie fell short. I, I thought it was difficult to understand what was going on. And I did think the, the goal of the filmmaker, Anders Hammer, he achieved his goal. And the goal was to put you in the action. The goal was to put you on the ground level, point of view, in the protests. And you were there. You were there with the protesters for 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And that's fine. But I didn't feel like the movie provided enough context to be sort of a teaching tool about what, what are next steps. How should I feel about this? What can I do? And maybe that's not what he wanted. I think the filmmaker may have wanted... This is exactly what the protests were like. I'm going to show you through the medium of film. Not, these are the political stakes, and these are next steps if you want to, to help out. Or, Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. I agree with you. I agree. He also showed uh, the protesters. Uh, he really didn't show the people who didn't protest what they were thinking. Uh, because there were people there that didn't protest, that they were not there in the thick of it, uh, but they certainly have opinions too. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the uh, the university was part of it. And what about the people who are not out there? Uh, but they certainly have ideas and certainly have opinions. And they have, and they're doing their they're doing their part too. It's not that they're ignoring it; is that they may not be on the street uh, uh, with the demonstrations, but. Still, they still have their part in this, uh, in this ongoing saga, and so that that wasn't part of the the, the, uh, the story either. No. So a lot of the story was from the violence and the protest, and uh, 
there's a lot of other things going on behind us. Oh no. Um, I'm gonna see if you come back. If not, I will. Oh, are you are you back? Can I can you... hear. I can see you. Okay. Yeah. You pause for a second. And I, your audio yeah. dropped out, but I can hear you now. Sorry about that. Um, so you were saying, and I think you have a good point. We didn't hear what Hong Kongers thought. We didn't hear what mainland Chinese who weren't Communist Party members thought. We didn't get a comment from the Chinese Communist Party. But I think that this wasn't a news report. And this wasn't designed to both sides this issue. I mean, that context is the context I think that we crave because that's sort of how we've been fed stories. These are what the protesters want. This is what the city authority, this is what the chief of police wants. He wants these people to stop being violent. That's why, you know, we're only being violent back because the protesters got violent. That happened in America. You know, this is what the mayor of Hong Kong wants, the administrative official who was in China's pocket, Carrie Lam, I believe her name was. This, this is the strategy of the Chinese government. We didn't get any of that context. No. It basically puts a camera down on the streets with the protesters. And when the protesters sort of list what they're fighting for, they're in the heat of a protest. And I think that, you know, the things that you'll say when you've been tear gassed, when you're running from the cops, when you've been beaten, is going to be different than if you're sitting at a desk in a well-lit environment with a camera in your face and someone's calmly asking you questions and you have time to sort of think. So you got perhaps the most raw, distilled version of the protests visually and in terms of you know all the voice all the students and uh, protesters that spoke out and on some level it was heartbreaking the girl that said you know i just finished university i wanted to be a teacher but now that i'm involved with these protests i won't have a career that's the way it works once china comes in and they know that you're not on their side no one will hire you and it's like that's heartbreaking in a way well, they were there again. They were at the uh, part of this was at the university. And uh, so, of course, my thoughts went to uh, what do the faculty think? Mm -hmm. They're not going to be picketing. They're not going to be demonstrating, but they certainly have opinions. So what are they going to think and what are they going to say? And I think I, I think I, a couple of times there were some people uh, within the university speaking, uh, not just students. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought of that. Uh, what do they think? What are the people who, who are in Hong Kong that don't uh, dem uh, demonstrate? Uh, what do they think? Mm -hmm. You know, are uh, how many people in Hong Kong, uh, all, the, all different sides of the story. I guess that's part of the uh, American in me. I, I want to hear everything. I want to mm -hmm. hear both sides of the story uh, to see what's really going on. And... Um, but, but the that, point is, but that we're wasn't seeing the, point. the actions. Yeah. But that wasn't the point of the movie. That wasn't the point of the movie. That's right. And uh, I think that's a good, I think we've covered the movie now. The movie shows the protest from a protester's eye view, and it does it very compellingly for 30 minutes. You're not going to get any additional context. It's basically, this is, this is the protester's point of view of the protest in Hong Kong. And if you want to learn about it, the movie, I think it's going to inspire people, and I, I think this is what they're hoping for, to go out and and educate themselves more about the Hong Kong protests. The question is, you know, it's it's over there. 
uh, Kowloon is, you know, attached to the mainland and Hong Kong is just an island. It would be like if Russia were, you know, were the contiguous U.S. And Manhattan Island was its own thing. And then Russia sort of decided to take it over. It it would be like that um, for the Manhattaners. Um, But I think this is a good opportunity to talk about some of the context around the documentary. I'm pulling up an article from IndieWire. And the headline is, As China Bans Oscars Broadcasts, Do Not Split Proves the Power of Short Film. So I think maybe we can go through this article and then call it a day. Okay. Sound sound good? Um, Sure. Okay. Filmmaker Anders Hammer braved tear gas, rubber bullets, live rounds, and pepper spray to shoot Do Not Split, a riveting 36-minute documentary that puts viewers on the front lines of Hong Kong's pro-democracy protest. Given that, he's not afraid of a little censorship. Produced by Field of Vision, the agitprop nonfiction film company that co-founded by Citizen Four director Laura Poitras, Do Not Split captures the Hong Kong demonstrations of 2019 through the developments of 2020 with terrifying immediacy. It's impossible to look away as protesters face beatings, surveillance, and arrests for exercising their right to assemble and free speech. It's no wonder the film's Oscar nomination has Beijing on high alert. Now I want to get into this. Um, I'll read the next paragraph when we can get into it. Days after Oscar nominations were announced on March 15th, reports surfaced that the Chinese central government had instructed local media not to transmit live coverage and to downplay the awards coverage. The order allegedly came from the propaganda department of the Chinese Communist Party. In a disappointing turn of events symbolizing the worsening situation over the last year, Hong Kong broadcaster TVB announced this week it would not air the Oscars for the first time in 50 years. The decision is likely based on the Do Not Split nomination, as well as pro-democracy statements attributed to Oscar-nominated Nomadland director Chloe Zhao. I want to get into this. I remember before the Capitol got stormed here in America, in early January, I was watching a lot of political videos on YouTube. I was going down rabbit holes. I was... And... And it was the type of thing where it's like, okay, there's just one more day. It's pro forma. Nothing's going to happen. And then they're going to certify the election results. But there was this guy, I think his name is Sagar Engedi. And he works for this outfit called The Hill. And every day they do a morning show. And his co-host, Crystal Ball, and he, they have a radar where they talk about what's on their mind. And he did a monologue about how... This whole voter fraud thing is just a bald-faced lie and how it's damaging for someone when they lie and they start to see the deterioration of faith in institutions to continue to lie. And then he closed with a quote, and I think the quote was from a think tank in Washington, like the American Enterprise Institute, and I don't know, but I remember the quote because I thought, this is pretty good. Um... The quote was, if you're in service, you don't serve your constituents by lying to them. When you lie to your constituents, you're using them and not being useful to them. And I liked that quote. That's good. Now, my question is, I mean, China is just sweeping anything that's inconvenient under the rug. And that includes the Oscar broadcast. 
they're not even allowing people in Hong Kong to see the Oscar broadcast. And my question is, how durable and resilient is the, the spirit of Hong Kongers to say, we're going to find this on the internet. If do not split wins, we're going to celebrate. Or is the cold hand of authoritarianism so hard that it's like, we're going to pretend like do not split didn't win, even if it does, because we don't want to go to jail for celebrating the victory of this film and the Oscars. It's, it's sad, but that's sort of the reality they're facing. And again, getting back to what I was saying before, if, if this has happened to the Oscars, how deep does it go that we don't know? Mm-hmm. How deep does it go? Where the people that aren't demonstrating, they probably know much, much more than what's happening down over there than, than, the, than, than we can know. So we should pay attention to this. This is, this is pretty, it's, it's uh, pretty impactful. Yes. I, um, there's so much stuff that we don't know because it's not a story here in America. I remember the story of Fawn Bing Bing. Do you, do you recall that story at all? No. I want to pull up the Wikipedia so I get it right. This is my uh, back of the envelope trying to remember. Fan Bingbing was a Chinese movie star, television star, singer, producer. She rose to fame, and then she went, you know, in Hong Kong in the West, and she had Instagram pages, and and she started speaking her mind. And then one day she came back to China, you know, to film a movie or whatever, and she was taken away. And she disappeared. And I think it was for a period of three or six months. She was sent to a re-education camp. And when she came out, she said, I am sorry for... Oh, they got her for tax evasion. But she said, I'm sorry for making any statements against the Chinese government. I know now that I need to pay all my taxes. Even if I star in a movie in Hollywood, I should pay the Chinese government taxes at the rate that the U.S. government pays me. Something like that. Um, so let's take a look here. She was sent to a re-education. It was that long ago. No. Fawn broke her silence. So she was, she disappeared on July 1st and she reappeared on October 3rd, apologizing to the public for tax evasion after the Chinese authorities ordered her to pay. Now, this is a whitewashed version of what I heard. I heard she came back to China and she was taken away. And a lot of it was she was on social media in the West. She had developed these huge followings and she was sort of beginning to speak her mind. And they told her, um, no, you know, you don't do that. We're going to, you know, we got these tax evasion charges. You're going to come out and you're going to pledge fealty and loyalty to the Chinese. And, I mean, it just goes to show anyone can edit Wikipedia. So, obviously, they're going to make it sound like she committed a crime and she got punished for it. But I remember, it's like, where is Fan Bingbing in 2018? It was August of 2018. It's like, Fan Bingbing has been missing for a month. Like, nobody knows where Fan Bingbing is. It's September. And it's like, she's just disappeared for two months. And then she comes out in October and she says, you know, I've learned that the Chinese government deserves all their taxes and everything I ever said on 
social media that was even slightly critical of them was wrong. And that's the type, that's the way it goes there. And that's scary. I mean, it's scary to think about living in a place like that. Yeah, because we know what it's like to live in a place that does not do that for now. Yes. You have to fight for it. You can't assume, you can't take anything for granted. You really can't. Fight for the freedoms you have because they can go away in a heartbeat. Now, I guess my question is, and I, I guess I'm naive in thinking that um, Americans know the whole story because I'm sure there's things that go on at a governmental level. I'm sure that there's, there's things that go on in terms of American justice that we don't know about, that if we did, we would be disappointed in our own justice system. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, and... I guess the thing is, with freedom of the press here, and for, yeah, I could publish anything I want. And yeah, you can get your Twitter taken down or your Facebook if you violate their terms of service, but I could start a web server today and I could publish something on my own web page that is available to everyone around the world if I could get them to take a look at it, you know? So I have the ability to do that here in America. And as long as I'm not violating any um, laws, I could say basically anything I want. I, I could say, you know, Joe Biden, you know, I think that he needs to be forcibly removed from office by... Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it here on... <laughs> Don't say those things here. No. Because people take it out of context. That's true. But you could hypothetically make disparaging comments against the sitting government and no one... I mean, you might end up on an FBI watch list, but if you didn't cr commit a crime, I guess is what I'm saying, they can't arrest you for it. In China, they can. The actual, the act of speaking out against the current government um, is a crime. And it's not here, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so, so we do have freedom of speech here. And I guess maybe it's naive to think that we know that our government doesn't do anything wrong because I'm sure that our government has done things that are wrong in the past. But the critical mass of things that we see coming out of China that are uh, a little bit concerning or a lot concerning seems to be growing all the time. And that could also be due to our media bubble, like the media outlets in America are willing to criticize Chinese administration of their own government because... If they're a competitor, at least, if not an adversary at most. So mm -hmm. it's, but how long can they start, if they ban the Oscars and they ban Facebook and they ban YouTube, I mean, how long can this go on before people realize there's a whole ecosystem, a whole world outside of what's allowed here? And it paints a picture of reality that's different than the ones that we know. True. It's true. Well, well, your point is very well taken about the United States because uh, um, I I believe you know I firmly believe that uh, there's there's good people everywhere and there's bad people everywhere, uh, even in our government in our country. Uh, but uh, we do have freedoms that we can have this podcast. We can say what we want, uh, and. Uh, that that freedom does not exist in other places. That's what we can see. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things we can't see, uh, and there's going to be bad things everywhere. That's just a reality. 
but the point is, is that you, you always strive uh, for the freedom for, of everyone across, for, so everyone can have the freedom of being uh, who they are to being free, free people uh, in a country that you can you can reach your potential. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and in the history, I think you've mentioned this: the long arm of history bends uh, toward uh, uh, justice and freedom. Uh, you have countries that suppress, uh, but eventually, uh, over a long period, over long term, uh, people want to be free. They need to be free to move on. And so we need to support that. And then, of course, the movie ends, and I think the article covers it a little bit, with you know the the pandemic. So he went, he filmed a twenty minute version, and then. They go back during the pandemic and there's just cell phone footage of how in Hong Kong, due to the SARS epidemic in the late 90s, early 2000s, I forget when SARS was, early 2000s, let's say early 2000s, but they had a coronavirus, SARS-1, the first SARS, and that was a coronavirus that was 15% lethal, and it was just not as transmissible as the one that we have now, and it spooked southern china and hong kong but they also learned when you get told wear a mask social distance don't gather you follow the government's mandate so it was fascinating that these people were fighting for their freedom but he goes back there during the pandemic and there's no one on the streets it's like you know we want to fight for our freedom still but we understand because of our experience with sars one that this second sars this covid19 the only way to make sure that it doesn't cause undue hardship is to follow those guidelines. Those guidelines aren't uh, a form of manipulation or repression. Like those guidelines are in place so that we all stay safe. And it's fascinating to me that if you look at the Michigan State House, where those people, you know, they stormed the State House with guns and they said, we don't want to wear a mask. We want to open up all of our businesses. This is just government control. And it's like, those people were not facing a situation where their freedom was about to be taken away from them, and they protested in Michigan. In Hong Kong, they are facing a situation where their freedom is about to be taken away from them, and they defer to the government health ministry because they feel like that's the more appropriate course of action. It's fascinating, isn't it? It really is. It really is fascinating. And, and you could probably spin that a lot of different ways, David. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, uh, we are, the Americans are privileged. And uh, we don't really see the bigger picture. Uh, they understand things better than we do. So you can spin this a lot of different ways. Their culture has a better appreciation of public health mandates. I I was reading in the... The foreign affairs, of course, we're getting a little off topic, but it was talking about how it was just assumed that the U.S. and Europe would handle coronavirus better than anyone. And we've been really poor, very poor at it. And Africa has done a very good job. And the reason why is because there's this free flow of information. There's, um, you know, the Internet exists everywhere. And in Africa, they've had public health emergencies 
over the last 10, 15, 20 years where they've mobilized their public health uh, instrument and said, these are the guidelines and people know, follow them or bad things can happen. So they've had experiences. It's like doing a fire drill when you're in elementary school. So Africa, they get told, social distance, wash your hands, wear a mask. And guess what? They do it. They do it. And they fare better than we did. And the only reason that we had such a hard time with it is because we didn't listen to the things that the experts were saying. Well, I think I think the African culture, the cultures in Africa, uh, I think they're a very different culture than we have here in the United States. Uh, they're, the people there are are very different than, than what we are here. And I think that's that's the reason that they do that, that here. We're very individualistic. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me what to do over there. It's not that they're not individualistic. It's that they understand how to work together. They understand uh, the, the village concept. And I, I think uh, the cultures over there, from what I've heard, from what, peop- what people from Africa tell me, that uh, it's very much that you come together. Uh, it's not necessarily just individualism like you're in the United States. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made for culture, but there's also an argument to be made for experience. That's so, true. So their right. experiences with Ebola or other communicable diseases that they've worked to eradicate or greatly reduce have given them skills and knowledge, not just knowledge. Everyone has the knowledge. Let's just say everyone has the knowledge now. You know, you think, mm-hmm. oh, Africa, they're not going to do well. They don't have the knowledge. Like, no, they have the exact same knowledge that we do. But yeah. what, they, the, what they have that we don't is the experience dealing with public health crises. And I think that it was difficult for Americans to say, oh, you have to sacrifice a couple of things that you perceive as your freedoms, but it's for the greater good. It's so everyone can be safe. And they say, yeah, you say that now, but you're just trying to take away my freedoms. I'm going to march on the state, state house with the sign that says no masks. And it's like, you're going to look foolish. I mean, everyone in the world is going to look around at you and say, yeah, I guess your case positivity rate is 10 times ours and your death rate is five times ours. And all we did different was follow those rules that you want to not follow. So what's the moral of the story here? Mm-hmm. And in Europe, it's it's been not great either. And so I think that in America and Europe, maybe there is this sort of cockiness. Like, oh, we're going to sort of technologically solve our way out of this. We're going to develop a vaccine. We're going to, and we don't need to sort of be as careful as other cultures believe that they do need to be. And so things go better for them. And if, if uh, things go bad for us, then uh, we'll, because we're so individualistic, we find someone to blame. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot to be learned from this, this pandemic. And also there's a lot to be learned from, from governments and peoples all, all around the world. Uh, and hopefully uh, from, from this uh, epidemic and also from these rioters like in, in Do Not Split in Hong Kong, uh, we should reflect and, and think of ourselves and like uh, their fight is not just their fight. Uh, they're fighting because for, for their freedom over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, uh, in a sense, you need to fight for your freedom every day, although theirs is being jeopardized. Yeah. Uh, ours is not, but it could be. And so you just you just you just really have to support. Uh, uh, I, 
you have to understand what's happening. You got to listen to people mm-hmm. <laughs> and listen to why they're being taken away and listen to, I, you know, one thing in the movie that, that I kept thinking of a lot in the movie, in the short film, in uh, Do Not Split, a lot of the writers were yelling at the police, yelling at them not to do it, not to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would be interested to know why the police were doing it. Because those police were from Hong Kong, I would imagine. Maybe, or maybe they're mainland Chinese. Were they mainland Chinese coming in, or were they Hong Kongers? Or We don't know that. Uh, but if they were from Hong Kong, ask them, uh, why, what, what do they think? Do you understand what you're doing? Or do you agree with that? Because you're a citizen as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, there's a lot, there's a lot more, a lot more questions that could be asked. Okay, and I think maybe we'll wrap this up, but I want to read the last two paragraphs, or the three paragraphs of this article, and then we can discuss that and then close it. Okay. Editing down 140 days of recorded footage to 36 minutes of film was another challenge. But Hammer always knew Do Not Split needed to be a short. I like the power of short documentaries. And that's what Field of Vision specializes in. Field of Vision is the production company. It -hmm. works really well online. I think more people tend to watch a short documentary, which is published in a way we try to make it accessible. It's open for anyone to watch now. You do not have to uh, pay to watch Do Not Split. We've talked about that before. You put your documentary on YouTube or free on Vimeo or whatever, it's accessible to everyone, and then your message gets out there. And a lot of times you're making the documentary to get your message out there. I agree with that, too. I totally agree. And this goes back to Siu, who is one of the um, one of the protesters profiled. Though she's optimistic about the film's Oscar nomination, Siu is not at all surprised by the Chinese central government's decision to censor the Oscars broadcast. The Chinese central party is willing to do whatever they can to prevent this information that could potentially harm the stability of mainland China from getting into the country. So they're not afraid of sacrificing their reputation when it comes to interactions with the international community. That's what I wanted to read. The Chinese government is willing to gamble on uh, censorship so that the ideas presented in the Oscar broadcast don't infect the mainland community. But I guess there's this issue that I have where it's like, if you're fighting tooth and nail to keep the truth from infecting your community, you're going to lose eventually, right? Uh, you would hope so. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. That's if, the long arm of the truth. Yes. And I, it's so it's like, oh, we're willing to sacrifice our face in the international community in order to keep our citizens from realizing that the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences thought that this short documentary was important. And it's like... Uh, that's a crazy hill to die on. Or it's like, maybe they, they make the calculations that it's like, no one's going to care. And if you keep withholding the truth, withholding the truth is lying to your people. And that's just using them. Mm-hmm. It's not really leading them. So that's not leadership. That's usury. Yep. It's using people them. People get tired. People get tired of that. It's using them, not being useful to them. It's using them, not being useful. And in long term, it's not it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've covered a lot of do not split, 
And it was good. And I also think that your initial impression of it was well taken by me. It was confusing. Because we just watched A Concerto as a Conversation, which is also nominated. Colette. Those are films with a clear narrative. Even A Love Song for Latasha. A clear narrative. It's telling a story. That story gets told and there's some resolution. With Do Not Split, there's no beginning. You're thrust into the middle of the action. And there's no middle. The action continues until the final frame, basically. I mean, there's the epilogue with the, now that we're in a pandemic, we don't protest, but these ideals mean just as much. That was sort of the ending. But they're still in the middle of this fight, and they're probably going to lose. And it's not like these other films we saw where there was a beginning, middle, and end, where it's like, okay, we have this story. Let's document the story. This is This story is unfolding. Let's start in the middle and end in the middle. And that's why I think that you, well, the first thing you said was it was pretty confusing because, you know, if a riot breaks out and then you bring in your camera and you film and then you leave before the riot's over, it's going to be a chaotic piece of film. And that's what Do Not Split was. Well, I would, I would say that, yeah, I, I was expecting a story. It wasn't a story. That's confusing. But then again, I, when I started thinking about it a little deeper, and after thinking about it after I left, I started thinking about it. I've been thinking about it a lot. I said, I totally agree with the production company. There's a case for these short films, these documentaries, to raise the issue. Mm-hmm. This is not solving something. We are in the middle of this. And this these kinds of films really should be saying, here's the issues. And when you're in the middle of something like this, you don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's what's going on. And you don't know what's gonna, how it's going to end either. All you know is you're there and you see what's around you. And so uh, Anders, is, Anders Hammers put it just right in the middle. says, look, this is what's happening. And so it's not, it's not like telling a, a storybook story. It's telling real life. And that this is the, the, the real thing that's going on. Yes. And so you don't know what's happening. And so there's a case for having these kinds of film to let people realize that life is not a storybook. And there's not always a storybook ending. And so wake up to say, you know, reality is this. This was reality. Mm-hmm. And so let's think about we're in the middle of it. Are we going to get through it? Are we going to get through and let them worry about it? Or are we going to get through it together uh, as a as a, a world community uh, for freedom? Yes. Um, I think that's a good place to stop. I just want to say I wouldn't vote for this to win. But that doesn't mean it may not be the most important short documentary nominated this year. Very well said, David. Very well said. Because... This is ongoing now. This mm-hmm. affects us now. And who knows what this or things like this will affect our future uh, in the world. Yes. And this also felt, I think the reason why I may have liked others more, as this felt almost like a pure documentary. Whereas the others were like, let's do these talking head shots. Let's arrange the action for maximum emotional impact. And let's sort of have this narrative structure that leads you to a very, emo- like Colette, 
at her brother's dormitory in the, the concentration camp. That's going to tug on your heartstrings. This was, let's put you in the middle of the action and unrelentingly, you know, instead of a, I'll, I'll put myself, instead of a story structure, rising action, climax, falling action. This was, let's start at 10 and keep going at 10 until the final frame. And that's what Do Not Split was. But because it was a pure documentary, that was what the protests were like. And that's the urgency of the situation now. So we're going to blast you with the volume at 10 for 30 minutes. And you're going to walk away saying, wow, things are worse there than I thought. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm concerned for the future of Hong Kongers. Take it for what it is, for what the, what he's saying, and he said it very well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think we've solved all the world's problems by watching this short <laughs> film, and I think we can call that an episode. Is there I anything so that you would like to say? Are you ready to close us out here, David? I am playing the outro music, and I would just like to say I've really enjoyed watching the short-form documentaries. There's one more that's nominated that we can't find on the streaming services. It's called Hunger Ward. Uh, But if we do find it, we will review it prior to the Oscars, which are the 25th of April. And that's all I'd like to say leaving. Is there anything you'd like to say? Well, I support the short film, too. I think there should be more of them. But uh, the Sense of Sequoia here, the podcast, we want to say keep on talking. But listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. Bye.